All right, so we are convening um, the meeting of the Marin County Transit District Board of Directors. It is Monday, April 3rd, and we will start by um, identifying if there's any directors out there who want to participate remotely. We have no request for remote participation by directors. Good, um, but I will make a note that both um, directors Lucan and Rodoni are um, absent today and um, they, they are away on personal matters. Um, so with that, can I have a roll call, please? Yes. President Rice? Here. Vice President Colbert? Here. Second Vice President Lucan? Director Moulton-Peters? Here. Director Rodoni? Director Sackett? Here. Director Bushy? Here. Director Casisa? Here. Thank you, we have a quorum. Okay, so our next item is open time for public expression for items that are not on our agenda today. Is there anyone here in the chambers who would like to comment on a transit district matter? Um, President Rice, I'm first going to announce how um, individuals can participate in the meeting, if that's all right. Thank you so much, Kate. Yes, Sorry thank you. That. Go ahead. At today's meeting, in-person comments will be heard before virtual comments. If you're joining us on Zoom and you would like to comment, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you are participating by phone call, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it is your turn to speak, your name will be called and you'll be prompted to unmute your device. You'll then have two minutes to speak. This concludes the instructions and I'll pass the meeting back to President Rice. All right, thank you. So now we'll um, get on to open time uh, for items not on our agenda. Is there anyone here in the chambers? I see no one. Is there anyone online, Kate? I see no raised hands, although I will say we received written comments on agenda items two, five, six, and seven from members of the public via email and the district's online public comment form. The comments have been shared with the board and will be included in the public record of this meeting. Great, thank you very much. So now we're on to item three, and this is board of directors matters. Anything that anyone would like to raise for the good of the order? Seeing none, uh, so we will move on to the general manager's report. Uh, Nancy, good morning. Good morning, um, President Rice and members of the board. I'm happy to uh, make a little presentation today on my report. And Kate, if you want to advance the next slide. Um, we're really excited because we have a, a new vehicle that we're testing. And if you came in downstairs, you might have seen it. Uh, it's a, a small electric bus that is on loan to us by the manufacturer. Uh, it'll be on loan from April 1st to the 19th, so we just got it on Saturday. Uh, it, <clears throat> we're gonna be testing it over these next two weeks in community shuttle service, as well as our uh, paratransit service operated under Marine Access. Uh, it's battery electric, it has about 130 mile range, takes about a four hour charge. Uh, it, it's configured for nine passengers and it's low floor, as you'll be able to see, which makes it really easy for passengers to board, both um, those who are in wheelchairs or using mobility devices, as well as uh, ambulatory passengers. So it's um, one of the things that we like about it is that it is actually a heavy duty bus, meaning that it is a 12 year life cycle bus. So rather than some of the other small vehicles, which are a five to seven year life. So um, it's interesting to us and again, on loan, and we're gonna test it out and potentially look to procuring uh, these types of vehicles in the future. It's available for viewing to uh, you and, and the public and potentially for a short ride today. So it's down at the arch and uh, we can gather after the meeting if you'd like to see that. 
Next slide, please. So as you know, uh, we have continued to have uh, to experience driver shortages for all of our services. So our fixed route as well as our paratransit. And as an example, uh, currently Marin Access Services is short by about 14 drivers of the total 32 that they, they need to be fully staffed. So wanted to just review with you a few of the things that TransDev has done to step up their recruiting efforts uh, for that service. And um, first thing is, of course, they have raised their wages starting on May, March 1st. That was a part of a contract amendment that uh, the board approved for uh, TransDev. They are also offering several different types of hiring incentives, including a sign-on bonus uh, for new drivers, an employee referral bonus where any of the existing employees who refer a driver or somebody to be a driver um, would get a bonus if they are hired. And then also most recently, a rider uh, incentive for employee referrals. So people, again, who get hired by uh, referral from riders, people who know other people in the community who want to, to drive. So those are some of the things they're doing. They're also reaching out to, the, to community organizations and holding regular job fairs as other examples of, of the work they're doing. And then uh, recently, Marin Transit placed advertisements on the monitors at DMV offices in Petaluma, Corte Madera, and Novato, something new we're trying out. And this, in fact, the graphic here shows what the one of the screens that pops up while people are waiting um, in, in the DMV offices. And so that's just a sample of one of the things that we're doing. And that's for all, all types of drivers. And they're various. That's just a sample. They, they rotate as ads rotate. Next slide, please. Then in addition to ramping up uh, efforts on driver recruitment, <clears throat> we are exploring operational innovations such as partnerships with volunteer driver programs and uh, concierge services that are affiliated typically with the TNCs and partnerships with the TNCs um, and also updating the settings in our, our scheduling software, which are all, all of these efforts are targeted, of course, at improving our service reliability. And more information will be provided uh, to end today's meeting under item number nine on Marine Access Services. So just to give you a little preview of what's going on. Okay, next, next slide. And then turning to our ridership, um, this is a slide that we show you every month. And this one is January of 2020 versus January of 2023. Uh, the Comparing our service today or for January, to the pre-COVID ridership, and there we're showing about 79%. Um, so it's a little bit of a dip from previously, but you can see also that some of the other Bay Area operators are also um, rising up a little bit more too. So the ridership has been trending upward a bit. Next slide. And then looking just at the numbers, and they're a little bit tricky to read here, but um, the important thing I think to show is that Marin Transit is uh, the sixth uh, had the sixth highest ridership for the month of January in all of the region. And again, as a small operator, that's pretty significant. Um, we're ahead of County Connection in uh, Contra Costa and uh, Golden Gate Transit, as just as examples and and Weta. So next slide. And then in your packet, we always have our, our monthly monitoring reports that show our fixed route and demand response ridership. And this report is for the month of January, where we compare our uh, fixed route ridership 
for um, to the ridership for the prior year. The green line shows the ridership by month for all of the last fiscal year, and the red line shows the top on the top there shows the ridership for this year. And January ridership is showing there at about two hundred and ten thousand passengers. So, um, still doing relatively well and increasing. Next slide. And then similar slide for demand response service for January. And as you know, Marine Access Services ridership has been um, a little bit on the decline. And you can see there, it was only 39% of the pre-COVID levels. And it started to decline in uh, September of this fiscal year, which is where the red line crosses over the gray line and dropping below the 22 levels. Um, we think the trend is leveling off. You can kind of see it there. And right now, for January, it was about 1% higher than it was for last January. So, and that's at about 6,000 passengers a month. And that's it. Kate, if you want to move on, and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have. All right, Nancy, thank you so much. Uh, board members, any questions? Yeah, Mary? Do you attribute that demand response dip to the driver shortage? There, there are several things that are probably at play here. One is that we believe that the population of riders tends to be the most vulnerable in terms of they are older and people with disabilities. And I think their um, willingness to, to be out in the public, has, at least certainly during COVID and even now, I think is still somewhat diminished. Additionally, we've seen several of the programs that um, you know, meal programs and those sorts of activities that were at uh, senior centers or at other places have were, were not being held, of course, during COVID. And many of those have not yet opened up to in-person. So we think that, that that's been an effect for, for sure. And then I would say, yeah, the driver shortage part of it is that our service is not as reliable, just as what we're seeing on our fixed route service that we've been reporting to you um, probably does impact some of the, the ridership as well. So yeah, we're working on all of that. And you'll hear more on an item later. Right. Any other questions? All right, so, um, and then do we have any public comments out, out here in the chambers? See no one, anyone online, Kate? I see no raised hands on Zoom. All right, so we will move on then to the consent calendar. Um, Nancy, anything you wanna call out here? And or, well, first I'll ask you that. And I know we do have public comment. I'm not sure which item that was on. That That is on item 5F. Okay. All right, and that came to all of us. That's right. Um, any questions or any of these items that board members would like to pull up? Okay. Any comment from members of the public here? See none. Anyone online? Yes. Uh, Kevin Carroll, please unmute. Uh, good morning. Uh, my comment is on the minutes uh, for March 6 on page 3. Uh, I misquoted in the last line. I was asking that uh, if it made more sense for Sonoma to provide service within Sonoma County and shuttles to the smart train rather than duplicating services between uh, Golden Gate Transit and the smart train. All right. Thank you, Kevin. So um, could we, let's see. Before we go on to um, move adoption of the consent calendar with that noted change that um, 
uh, Mr. Carroll made with regards to the minutes, I do want to just say, uh, Nancy, to you and staff, thank you uh, on your work with the Ross Valley Area School Transportation Services contract and uh, bringing on board uh, Bauer. Mm -hmm. that, yes. Um, anyway, uh, appreciate that work uh, and also wanted to ask that um, we share um, that information with the uh, clients, the rider families, so they have um, a, a little bit of a heads up. And also, I think that Bauer is going to be bringing some new services to the table mm -hmm. that um, uh, those riders and their families are going to be very appreciative of in terms of communication skills and tracking, et cetera. All right, so we can we have a motion for the consent calendar? I'll move that. I'll second. And motion, Mullen Peters, second. Chair, Chair, oh, I'm sorry. Colbert, <laughs> do we do a roll call? Yes, President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert? Yes. Director Mullen Peters? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you, that matter carries. Mm -hmm. All right, excellent. And now we are on to item six, and this is the June 2023 service changes and Title VI equity analysis report. Robert. Yes, Robert's going to handle this. Okay, good morning, President Rice, members of the board, Robert Betts, Director of Op Operations and Service Development. Item number six. Uh, is a request to approve the June 2023 service change proposal and the associated Title VI equity report. Um, I did put together a brief presentation, but uh, this is the fourth meeting in a row now where we've gone over uh, the proposed service change starting back in January, where we introduced some of the challenges we were facing in February. We went into detail about what the service change proposal looked like route by route. Uh, in March, we held the public hearing, we shared the public comment, talked about the outreach efforts, uh, and now we're here in April asking your board to do a final adoption on uh, the proposal. Next slide. So, as a quick summary overview of the, of the change, we are considering this a major service change, and that's largely due to the number of routes that are being uh, modified, as well as the proposed cancellation of, of four specific routes. Half of our fixed route services, so 12 of the 24, are included in this change. Uh, in total, we're now looking at a 2% overall decline in service as, as measured by uh, revenue hours. Uh, but we are seeing a significantly higher reduction in the resources needed to provide that service. So we're looking at still about a 7.5% reduction uh, in what we call uh, peak pullouts or the number of vehicles needed on a daily basis to provide the service. The public hearing, as I mentioned, we held in March, and we are asking for your board's adoption today. And if approved, that will go into effect June 11. Next slide. This slide here shows the 12 routes that are included in the proposal. The chart on the right shows um, whether or not we're proposing to increase, decrease um, uh, service or um, alignment changes with those routes. And then for the four routes, we are proposing to cancel the replacement services that um, we have included. <clears throat> this proposal that we're asking for adoption today is nearly identical to the proposal we introduced in February with a few minor exceptions. Um, the first being uh, preserving some of the 
uh, night service on Route 22 that was originally proposed for cancellation. Uh, so we are now proposing to retain two trips, two northbound trips, leaving Marin City at 8.04 and 9.09, which will provide or retain some of that later service to College Marin. And then the second uh, modification from the original proposal is to extend uh, select peak weekday and weekend trips um, on Route 257 to Hamilton to preserve some of the one-seat rides locally in Novato. Next slide. At our last meeting, um, we your board asked us to look into detail at a couple specific areas of the proposal and to come back with uh, a report out on those areas. And this was largely based on the public comment we heard at the time. Starting with Route 22, there, there were a couple areas that we heard concerns about from the public on Route 22. The first is associated with the proposed change where we uh, will no longer serve the Strawberry Village stops in the northbound direction. Um, we would be asking riders to either walk out to the bus pads at Tiburon Y or Seminary or to make a connecting um, make a connection using Route 1736 or 219. We went back to and looked at the ridership in detail. So those that are getting on the service going northbound in Strawberry to any destination to the north. And we found that on average, 0.4 boardings per trip happened at those stops on the route. So based on that low ridership number, we, um, we are continuing to recommend that the northbound service um, does not serve those stops in the northbound direction. The other um, request we heard from the public and concerns were around the evening service on Route 22, specifically um, serving the College of Marin uh, population. So uh, in March, we proposed to retain the 804 trip which would get service to College of Marin until 8.30. And we're now proposing to also retain the 9.09 p.m. trip, which would get service to College of Marin until 9.30 at night. The other thing we looked at um, with this evening service were the associated paratransit impacts. So as you know, paratransit service is, is complemented to the fixed route service. So not only does it geographically serve the areas around the fixed route, but it also serves those areas based on the span of service of those routes. So when we looked at reducing the evening service on Route 22, we went back over the last year and we looked at all the paratransit trips that would be potentially impacted by that change. And what we found is if we were to reduce service by those two hours in the evening, uh, 14 riders would have been impacted and 435 trips over that year-long period uh, would no longer be offered um, due to the uh, changes in, in operating hours. By adding in these two trips, the 804 and the 909 trip, we reduced that to an impact on only nine riders in a total of 84 trips. Uh, and I think it's important to note, and that's over a year long period. Um, and only one rider took more than one trip per month um, during that time frame. So uh, that also kind of went into our recommendation to bring back that one additional late night trip on the 22. Next slide. Another route that we heard some concern about was Route 49, and specifically the request or the concern was around removing service to the Las Colinas and Nova Albion stop. 
Um, this map here is a little bit hard to say to see. There's a lot of spaghetti going on here. Um, but what what we wanted to highlight and what we looked at was really the the um, ability for riders to get on at this stop to go northbound on Route 49, and for riders coming from the north to get off at this stop. The, the proposed change to the Route 35 will continue to preserve all of the same connections going southbound uh, that, that riders can, can have, or riders have access to today on the 49. So our concern was really about that connection going northbound. And when we looked at that data, we saw that 0 0.5 boardings per trip or lightings per trip in the case of the southbound occurred at this stop on Route 49. Again, because of the relatively low ridership, uh, we are not proposing to make a change uh, and we would continue to have Route 49 bypass this stop. Uh, we've also identified that there are two stops within 0.1 miles, uh, almost around the corner from the existing stop on Freitas Parkway in Nova Albion that are served by Route 245 and 257 that would be continued to be served by those routes. And if riders absolutely do need to continue to use the Route 49, the stop at Northgate Mall, uh, we measured out at 0 0.5 miles away. So we feel like there's, there's enough alternative service here. Uh, and based on the low ridership, we are not proposing to change our recommendation on the Route 49. The third area was looking in detail. Oh, next slide. Thank you. Um, was looking in detail at the Route 219. Uh, and our proposal for the Route 219 is twofold. One is to remove the service up into the hills, uh, which we call the 219F. Uh, that's two trips in the morning and two trips in the afternoon. And to also reduce the span or the frequency of service down on the boulevard. Uh, we heard some concerns both uh, around the removal of that service into the hills as well as the reduction in, in service frequency. And we went back um, and looked at a couple different things. First off, we looked at um, connections at Strawberry Village. We looked at the actual ridership that was happening up in the hills. And then we looked at the connections down at the ferry. And based on the ridership and the analysis, our focus on and with this restructured route was to first and foremost continue to make connections to the ferry. So be able to allow riders in those two trips in the morning and those two trips in the afternoon to, to be able to make the connection to the ferry. The second priority based on the ridership was to focus on the connections happening at Strawberry Village. What we saw was the dominant transfer movement on this route was from Route 36, and Route 36 starts in the canal, it goes to San Rafael, and then comes down the freeway to serve Strawberry Village. Approximately 15 transfers per day were happening between that route and the 219 at Strawberry Village. Compared to the ridership in the hills, which we saw less than five passengers per day getting on and off. So in order to kind of balance the needs, again, what we're recommending is we continue to connect to the ferry, we continue to make transfer connections at Strawberry Village, but we keep the route on the boulevard uh, down in Tiburon. I know there was also discussion about looking at how the 619, which will continue to operate after the June service change, would also offer additional service and capacity on the boulevard. And we do think there is an opportunity to put two trips in the morning and two trips in the afternoon that currently do what we call a deadhead movement, where they just operate out of service down to the boulevard, I'm sorry, down to Tiburon and Maine, 
we can put those back into revenue service to add a little bit more frequency. Uh, please keep in mind those are school day only trips, so they wouldn't be offered every weekday, but it would help enhance the frequency uh, on those school days. So the other part of this action, in addition to approving the um, proposed service change, is to approve our Title VI equity analysis. We did go into detail at the last meeting about some of the results, but that equity analysis is really focusing on um, making sure the proposed service change does not have a disparate impact on minority populations or a disproportionate burden on, on low-income populations. The overall results show that there was no uh, direct impact. Um, but we did go into further detail, and it's included as an attachment to your report, about what some of the trade-offs were neighborhood by neighborhood. Because there are some neighborhoods that will see slightly elevated services and some neighborhoods that will see slightly declined levels of services. So all of that is included um, as well as an attachment to your packet. Next slide. And with that, I'd be happy to answer any questions. All right. Uh, questions. Uh, super, our director, Moulton Peters. Thank you. Uh, really a comment. Thank you for the extra analysis that you did of the 219. I think based on what you said, the changes that are proposed, you know, make, make a lot of sense. I know it's a tough decision, but ridership wise, uh, the connection with the 36 and what appear to be work related uh, commutes versus uh, ferry commute uh, to the city, which is down. Anyway, so thank you for the extra analysis. It answered questions I had last time. Thank you. Uh, Director Sackett. Thank you also for the additional analysis on the 49. A couple of questions. So when the Las Galinas and Northgate stop will be removed from, from the 49 route, it will still be on the 245? Uh, so, so you're talking, you're talking Las Colinas and Nova Albion? At Northgate. Northgate, yeah. So um, we, we have two stops at Northgate. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same stop. Yeah, and I guess let me just ask it a different way. So it's the one at Northgate Drive that gets a lot less use, right, than the one that's across from the CBS, the main... Yeah, in terms of the the three stops in the Northgate yeah. area, um, the one that we call the Northgate Mall stop, which is the time point stop by CVS, that's the mm -hmm. highest ridership stop. Second highest is at the one we call Northgate Drive, which is you know just another stop north of of the Las Colinas stop. Um, and then the third one is the Las Colinas and Nova Albion stop. Um, so. The 245 will continue to serve the one at Northgate Drive, but it will not serve the other two. My question is, it, when you remove a stop, does that mean, I mean, if there's no, are there any of these stops that once removed from it with these schedule changes will then no longer be used at all? And if so, what are the implications of that for the future of ever bringing it back? Yeah, so... Service will be retained at every stop okay. in the Northgate Answer area. Question. Okay, yeah. that answers that question. And then um, I appreciate um, Nancy the engaging with the with the citizen who who had a lot of questions about the Nova Albion stop. And I, you know, for what I'm hearing from the response is zero point five boardings per trip. And and 
I, it, that's average across the day. I, I'm guessing, I guess what I'm concerned about is there a point in time when there's a significant ridership, but then when average to cost all rides, um, are, are we missing a population there? I, I mean, is 0 0.5 what you're getting? If you have zero on 10 of the trips, but two of the trips, you have 20 people. I guess that's what I'm concerned about are those two trips with 20 potentially. Yeah, I... I don't think that's the case. I, I guess I, I, without looking at the, de the the ridership in detail, I don't know that for a fact. Um, I think you know some of the the major generators in that area, Terra Linda High School students will walk down to this stop, and that's just based on you know the schedules and when the other services operate. Now those students, for the most part, are going southbound, right? They live in San Rafael. They're going down the Lincoln Corridor back to the canal. So again, they'll continue to be served by the new Route 35 and the 257 and the 245. Really, the concern here is that connection going northbound where the 49 used to go, or st will still go, but will no longer serve that stop. That was really the focus and the concern here. Mm -hmm. um, and the 257 with the new alignment will continue to offer connections into Novato into downtown Novato, uh, even into Vintage Oaks and along that Alameda Del Prado corridor. And it'll stop on Freitas, which is just around the corner. It'll stop on Freitas. It'll also stop on Novalvian. So whichever one of those stops is more convenient, uh, riders will continue to have that, that option. Okay. Thank you so much for going into those details. Any other questions? Okay. I'm going to add one. To the mix. This is the fourth meeting, though, so sorry I didn't ask at the very first meeting. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about how, and I'm not seeing them in the packet. We we have metrics that you measure uh, ridership on, in terms of passengers per hour or boardings per boardings per hour per day. And we had thresholds. Remember, twenty. And I'm right. Um, and then you're also looking though in this fine grain at actual stops. So could you talk a little bit, just really quickly, Robert, about how we we look at both those data points in terms of a route, boardings per day or per hour, and our thresholds, right, of productivity, and then um, the stops themselves? Sure. So we have regular reviews internally that we call service monitoring meetings. And, and typically what we do is we start with those high-level metrics. So Productivity, passengers per revenue hour, and subsidy, which is or, or cost effectiveness su subsidy per passenger. Those are kind of our initial red flags. If a route isn't meeting a target in those areas, we then look at the next level of detail. And oftentimes that's looking at trip level ridership. So are there certain trips that have really low or, or in some cases really high ridership where we may need to add service? Once we've identified those trips, then we start to look at the directionality. And then the last thing we look at is really the stop level. And, and we tend to look at a route as a load profile. So where are people getting on? Where are they getting off? How does the bus fill up and how does it unload? So that's what we kind of look at internally. And ultimately what we come back and ask your board to approve are the service changes that reflect that kind of detailed level analysis. All right, perfect. Thank you so much. I really um, 
appreciate actually that process and then the way you present to us both in in the um, staff reports and these slides and it's um, pretty amazing Robert actually um, and you do an amazing job so with that do we have we did have some public comment that came in am I right yes and that was shared with the board and then do we have any public comment here in the chambers see no one do we have anyone online i'll give everyone a moment oh yes i see one raised hand justin brady please unmute hey can you hear me all right um uh i'm trying to find a picture but uh i had some trouble yesterday getting back from the corte madera station i wanted to talk about bike racks so uh i got from the raw station just fine um, I'm sorry, the area near San Anselmo Ross over to the main transit center to go back across the bridge to uh, up 101, right? Uh, and people were trying to help me, but I, the bike racks are, I've never seen this kind of bike rack before, but it's below down in the cargo area where you put the luggage. And so I think this is the biggest bus. This is the big long haul bus that goes up to the 101 and across the bridge. And uh, there was one bike in there and it looks like they're supposed to take two and the guy showed me how to work it but i couldn't get my bike in there with his it's just it's very small you have to put them on their side and then there's like this rubber spacer between the two bikes i've never seen it before um anyways uh so i had to just call an uber because i couldn't get my bike in there and the bus driver said this there's no other buses that take the kind that go on the front or the back that fold out Anyway, um, yeah, that was it. I don't know how much that solution cost, but I I did nothing but scratch up my bike um, after five minutes to try. And then, yeah. Anyways, thank you very much. That's all. Thank you, Justin. There are no additional speakers in the queue. All right. So maybe we can respond to Justin, even though it's not directly related to the service changes, but um. If Good information. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I believe Justin's referring to the Golden Gate Transit bike racks, which are kind of the undercarriage pullout racks um, that they have on the MCI buses. But we're more than happy to pass along that comment to Golden Gate Transit. All of our bike racks are um, front load, um, and they aren't the kind of turn your bike sideways and slide them in. All right. Okay, um, and then just one added comment to that. Do we track usage of the bike racks on our service towards um, understanding do we have the capacity to meet the demand? We do. So when when passengers get on the bus, we, we track it at the trip level. So um, we don't know exactly which stop they get on, um, but every driver, when when passenger loads their bike, um, they they hit a key on the fare box that counts the bikes. And we're doing fine. I, I think we're doing pretty well. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So I bring it back here to the board, and so we need a motion both to approve the twenty June twenty twenty three service changes, and the associated Title Six Equity Analysis Report. I would make that motion to approve the service changes and the Title VI equity analysis report. Second. All right, motion Moulton-Peters, second Sackett. And could we have a roll call, please? President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. 
Vice President Colbert? Yes. Director Moulton Peters? Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you, that matter carries. All right, thank you very much, Robert and team for all that work. Um, item seven, this is uh, amendments to our um, contract with Marine Airport or for operations and maintenance services. And again, Robert will be presenting on this item. We have a short presentation. Yes, so item number seven uh, is to approve amendment number five uh, with Marin Air Porter. Next slide. We have a very brief presentation here to walk you uh, through the amendment. Um, and as a little bit of history, uh, Marin Air Porter um, has been our, one of our contractors for over 15 years. They're, they're a local um, ESOP uh, based out of Marin County. I'm sure you're aware they provide, in, in addition to our public transit services, charter services, uh, and our airporter service down to uh, SFO. Um, the amendment, amendment number five to our current agreement is, is doing a couple of things. First off, it is extending the agreement by an additional two years. Their contract currently expires June 30th, 2023. Uh, we're asking to extend that to uh, June 30th, 2025. Um, it's also changing uh, the, the compensation chart, uh, which is attachment A to the contract, um, to do two things. First off, to continue to increase our driver wages. Um, to increase that starting wage from $26 an hour to $28 an hour. And then the second part of that compensation adjustment is to allow them to continue to expand services under our contract. Uh, Marina Airporter, in terms of revenue hours, is currently our largest contractor. Uh, and this uh, amendment will allow them to continue to expand uh, the, the services and routes that they operate. Um, in terms of taking on more service, what that includes is more administrative staff to support uh, the, the additional service, more maintenance support to um, take on additional vehicles, more fleet, more maintenance needs. Uh, that includes some improvements to the contractor-owned maintenance facility to allow them to accommodate more vehicles within that facility. Um, and also access to our rush landing facility, uh, which provides parking and some office space up in Nevada. Next slide. In terms of the service that would be operated um, under this amendment, uh, the Marina Airport currently operates approximately 90,000 hours, um, which is largely made up of our, of our local fixed route shuttle service, as well as a couple of our basic routes. So they currently operate routes 17, 22, 49, 219, 228, 235, 233, 245, 251, and 257. Um, with the change here, uh, with the June service changes, um, that the those hours will get mixed around a little bit. Uh, but this will also allow them to take on new services like our rural stagecoach program, Route 61 and 68, as well as our remaining supplemental school services, Route 613, 619, 625, and 654. In total, it's approximately 20% more service than they're operating today. Uh, and most of that service would be um, phased in really between July 1st and then the start of school. Um, so really the first couple months of, of the contract. Next slide. This table here shows what the new contract rates would look like. As a reminder, this contract is made up of a fixed fee. 
which is paid out every month, and then a variable rate fee, which is based on revenue hours. Um, and as you can see that over the life of this contract, both of those uh, have steadily increased. In my final slide, next slide, um, helps kind of show how their rates will do compare um, to our other contractors. And what we're showing here is what we call the effective cost per revenue hour. So uh, what we do is we take that fixed fee and we spread it out over the total number of hours they're operating every year. And then we add it to the variable fee to try and get kind of an apples to apples comparison between our contractors. This, the, these rates do not include fuel and some of the other additional overhead costs, but it does kind of allow us to compare between our different contractors. Um, the red line here, which is a little bit hard to see, that is the Marin Airporter um, cost per hour. And as you can see at the start of the contract, we were around $80 per hour. That has increased over the last couple of years. And under this amendment, uh, it would start uh, at $126 per revenue hour. The green line on top is the comparison to uh, Golden Gate Transit, and they'll be at about $158, hour, $158 per hour starting uh, July 1st. And then the um, kind of blue line there is uh, our demand response contract rate per hour, uh, which July 1st we estimated around $118 per hour. So next slide. With that, I would be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Robert. Uh, questions? Director Casisas. Yeah, can you just maybe expand a little? When I look at one of the charts um, for total costs, 2019 is about five million seven, And then in 20, I think in the added year two, it goes up to like over 14 million. Do you know why it jumps up? It's more than double. Sorry, which? which... Um, it's in your staff report. Mm -hmm. It's like the last chart, sorry. Oh. <clears throat> where it says best base year, it says total cost is like 5.7 million. Mm -hmm. And then added year two, it's like 14 million plus. I was just wondering why, because it more than doubles. Yeah, well, a couple things. Um, the the revenue hours uh, go up, I'm trying to do my math here, by about 40%. Okay. So there's, there's a lot more service being put out. Um, but then the cost per hour, has also increased over time. So, and a lot of that is is the la the labor and and the increasing driver wages. Um, I would guess back in at the start of this contract, Marin Airporter's starting wage for drivers was probably around seventeen dollars an hour, and I I think now under this amendment will be at twenty eight dollars per hour. So there's been a lot of change there, and that's that's not unique to Marin Airporter. All of our contractors have seen that same kind of growth in, in uh, salaries and, and benefits. Um, yeah. I was just going to add that it is, in fact, very common in the industry right now to see these large increases, particularly for those operators like Marine Transit who contract for all of their service. So this increase, the, the added year one, is a 13% increase. You may recall that we just approved an increase um, for our other contractor, the Golden Gate, which was in a 15 to 18% increase. So it, it's it's what we're seeing in the industry. 
um, definitely related to labor primarily, but there are other elements of it. As you know, costs for everything are go is going up. So um, I think this it's clearly a reflection of what we're seeing around the region and probably across the country. Thanks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Director Bushy. Thank you. Um, following up on that, that's exactly what I was zeroing in on was that paragraph that actually preceded that um, that that table, which um, the general manager has been quoting from. So it's a 13% increase, which I understand that to be a $28 million for the additional two years. So is that 14 additional? 14 million additional dollars each year? No, that's the total for the year. So this is a, the amendment is for to add two years to the contract, to the existing con contract. And each year, yeah, first year is 13.7, next year is 14.6. Right, so that's total. The, right, the, the total. So it's, yeah. I was just divided it in half, but yeah, okay. Yes. So that's, that's for the case. So my question is where, how is that going to be flowed through into the existing budgets? How is that going to be going to, what's the source of revenue to um, pay for this increase? Sure. So it, it'll be from the existing sources that we have. So there is no new source per se to pay for it. So broadly speaking, it'll be the fact that, you know, we have been fortunate that most of our sales tax-based revenues have been fairly strong. I mean, relatively strong. So that would include our Measure A, um, our TDA, and then the related uh, STA, which is State Transit Assistance. So those are fairly strong, and they represent a fairly large component of our, our revenue source, very large component of our revenues. Um, and our fares right now are staying fairly stable. So that's that's been also a good source for us. Um, I think those are the primary ones. I'm just going to turn quickly to Lauren to see if I've forgotten anything. Okay. So, yeah. So I, it's from our existing sources. So it's fair to say there's surplus revenue available to absorb these additional prices, these additional costs. Well, please note that there's 20% more service that's being operated in added year one. So while the costs are going from 96 9 to 13.6, we're also adding 20% more service, which is- So, so yeah, so- that's awesome. Yeah. Um, just but it's not, is it an add or is it a transfer? It's a transfer. So that's one of the things I wanted to raise is that that we are also, this this action uh, that would take effect on July 1 is all, at the same time as concomitant with the, the conclusion of the MV contract. So these services are currently operated under the, Marina, uh, the MV contract. So that terminates. And then what we're doing is having Airporter absorb those 20,000 hours into this contract. Oh, so it's not so, additional cost, it's sort it's, of replacement. It, it, exactly. There is some increase in the cost, probably. I mean, yes, there is an increase in the hourly rate, as we just showed. But, um, but also it's the, the fact that they are taking on these 20,000 hours of service. Very good. Thank so, you. Additional hours for them for airporter, not new to the program. Yeah, Director Peter. Yeah, thank you. So that was going to be my question and confirming what uh, Director Bushy said. It's replacement for much of the service from MV at this point. It is. Right. Thank you. Yes, Director Colbert. Yeah, hi, thanks, Robert. Thanks, Cynthia, for the report. And it's it's a question, but I think sort of based on what we're talking about, I look at the trend line between fiscal year 1819 to 24, 25, and 
I mean, it's it's almost doubled. Um, and so, you know, I just sort of wonder, you know, I mean, it's sort of the backdrop we've been talking about for a while in terms of sort of sustainability and and, and viability. Um, it, it might not be an appropriate time for the conversation now, but I mean, sort of as a director, what should we sort of be be thinking mm -hmm. about this, given that, you know, FY2425 is, is really not that far away? Right. So you may recall that we did a, a mini SRTP short range transit plan where we looked at the financial projections over the next few years. And it was a, a mini in that it was only a, a five year projection, not a 10 year projection. And in the five year projection, we were looking we, we were still financially solid is what I'll say that we don't we don't uh, dip below our, our reserve amounts and that sort of thing. So we were in financially relatively good shape. I think this is, you know, this is new information. It isn't far from what we were projecting. I mean, it is uh, somewhat higher than what we were projecting, but not a lot higher. And I think what we'll be doing in the next year is looking at a new short-range transit plan that is more comprehensive. Um, the mini short-range transit plan really just addressed specific questions that MTC asked us about. And again, on a five-year horizon and, and in a different way than we normally do our short-range transit plan. So we are looking at that, um, absolutely. And as a director, we will come back to you with those sorts of that, that analysis of what our financial picture looks like. And it's essentially what sort of service can we afford, given what we see on this horizon, like you say, this trend. Um, this is a trend, as I mentioned earlier, that I think is, is happening across the, the country in terms of costs particularly with regard to labor. But um, so, so we'll be looking very carefully at that in the, in the coming months. It will show up in our budget. You know, the budget will have these this new contract amount in here uh, for this next year, but otherwise our other contracts have already, we'll, you know, we already know what those, um, those rates are. Those are existing contracted rates under the Transdev and Golden Gate contracts. And those are the majority of our, our expenses, of course, are with our contractors. Thanks. Right, and then just to follow up on that, and of course, we'll be inputting whatever the on the revenue side, and Tam, we're having the conversation about projections around those measure AA sales tax, and of course, that's um, directly informs our budget as well here. We're in transit. All right, uh, any public comment on this item? No one here in the chambers. Is there anyone online? And this is for item seven. I'll give everyone a moment to raise their hand. And there are no raised hands on Zoom. Thank you. All right. So I'll bring it back here for any further comments and or a motion. And that would be a motion to approve amendment number five with Marin Air Porter for operations and maintenance services. I'll move um, the item said to approve the amendment with Marine Airporter for operations and maintenance services. I'll second the item. All right, so motion second, second, Colbert, roll call please. President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert? Yes. Director Mullen Peters? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you, that matter carries. Okay, so now we're on to item eight, and this is um, an adoption of a revised Marin, Tran Pol Marin Transit policies on public hearings and Title VI. Yes, and Kathleen Sullivan is going to present this item. Hi, nice to see you this morning. Um, 
This item is pertaining to three official Marin Transit policies that are adopted by your board, the public hearing policy, the major service change policy, and the policy for establishing disparate impact or disproportionate burden. Um, staff, as you may know, staff is currently updating our Title VI program. It's due to be updated and adopted by this board uh, in June of this year. So we'll be talking to you more about Title VI as the year progresses. As a recipient of FTA funding, Marin Transit is required to comply with Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, Title VI requires Marin Transit to conduct service and fare equity analyses prior to implementing major service changes or fare changes, um, except if those fares are promotional or temporary in nature, and to determine whether these proposed changes will have a disparate impact on the basis of race, color, or national origin, and to mitigate those impacts where possible. Um, in addition, FTA requires transit providers to uh, evaluate whether these types of changes have impacts on low-income populations and whether they will bear a disproportionate burden of the changes. So disparate impact is for um, in relation to race and disproportionate burden in relation to low income. Um, so Title VI actually requires three policies to be adopted. The major service change policy, which essentially just determines where what is the threshold that something constitutes a major service change instead of minor tweaks that we're you know kind of making on a periodic basis to our service. Um, disparate, disparate impact policy establishes a threshold for determining at what point something constitutes a disparate impact um, and dis on, on minority populations and disproportionate burden also establishes a threshold for determining when adverse impacts, sort of what constitutes an adverse impact um, that are disproportionately borne by low-income low populations. So um, as you know, as Robert just presented on, we just did this um, for this major cert. We determined that the changes that were proposed do constitute a major service change. And we, uh, we did a um, service equity analysis. We also held a public hearing. So in the course of both updating the Title VI program and doing all, these, all this work for the service change that was just adopted, we reviewed all of these policies. And um, we basically found some need just for more clarity, essentially. There was sort of unnecessary language and verbiage that was not actually helpful to staff in applying the policies. So what, what we you have before you is essentially administrative changes, just to do a little bit of cleanup and streamlining, uh, clarify language, to ensure that we have a really clear understanding as staff of the intent of the policies and that we can consistently apply them over time and across different staff members who may have to apply these policies. Um, we also updated the formatting. We, we have a new logo and um, new templates. So that's a sort of simple change. And then we also, previously the disparate impact and disproportionate burden policies were basically embedded within the Title VI program. So you had to look at page 115 of the Title VI program to see those two policies. We have extra extracted those combined them into one official board policy, given it a number, um, so that it's more easily referenced since it is such a sort of a foundational policy of ensuring that our services have, you know, equitable impacts on the population. So we've extracted those and made them an official standalone board policy. Um, these revisions do not make any substantive changes to essentially the, the intent of these policies. The thresholds for the disparate impact and disproportionate burden have not changed. What constitutes a major service change has not changed. Um, and the sort of procedures for public hearings have not changed. It really was just cleanup. 
So uh, this is an action item. We're hoping that you can uh, adopt these um, sort of administrative cleanup for these three policies. Great. Kathleen, thank you. Yeah. Questions? Seen any questions? Uh, any, let's see, any public comment? Not hearing, seeing any in the chambers, any online? Um, no raised hands on Zoom at this time. Thank you. Okay, so I'll bring it back here. And to close, well, I will just say I, I did read through this actually, and um, thank you for calling it. No major changes, but I do was really appreciative of the fact that we actually do this dive and this screen uh, to make sure um, and and analyze those service changes, and also just generally how we conduct business at Marin Transit with an eye towards. Um, those who are low income, uh, those minority populations, and um, those are the populations that are predominantly our mm -hmm. clients on Marin Transit. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, I'd be looking for a motion to adopt the um, revised Marin Transit policies. What? Come on, you guys. So moved. I'll move that we adopt the revised Marin Transit policies as laid out in the staff report. Motion Colbert. Second. This is a second bushy. Roll call, please. President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert? Yes. Director Moulton Peters? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you. That matter carries. Thank you, Kathleen. So we are on to Marin to item nine, which is an update on our Marin Access Service. Yes, this is a discussion item, and both Robert and Joanna Hewitt are going to present on this, and they have a presentation slides. Yes, here we go. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Good morning, President Rice and Board of Directors, Joanna Hewitt, Senior Mobility Planner. <clears throat> this morning, Robert and I will be providing an update on the Marin Access Programs. Uh, next slide, please. As part of the update this morning, we will do a review of the current suite of Marin Access programs and services, share information about current conditions, and then talk you through the key challenges we're facing. <clears throat> Next slide. As mentioned, we'll start with a review of Marin Access programs and services. Next slide, please. This slide shows a timeline that details the evolution of Marin Access programs. There's a lot of information there, but I'll, I'll walk you through some key highlights from the timeline. So in 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act passed. The Americans with Disabilities Act is a federal civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against people with disabilities in everyday activities. The ADA requires public transit agencies that provide fixed route service to provide complimentary paratransit service to people with disabilities who cannot use the fixed route bus due to a disability. Prior to this, we had provided ADA service, um, but the ADA then mandated that we provide this and, and built up some regulations around it. So in the early 2000s, following the passage of Measure A, Marin Transit began to offer additional demand response programs, such as Easy Rider, um, which served Novato and, and was subsequent, subsequently rebranded to Novato Dial-A-Ride. In 2010, with the, the passage of Measure B, dedicated funding for transportation for older adults and people with disabilities allowed us to begin expanding our mobility management offerings beyond mandated paratransit. In 2010, the Mobility Management Center was created with programs added almost yearly through 2017, including the Travel Navigator Program, the Star and Trip Volunteer Driver Programs, Catch-A-Ride, Rural Dial-A-Ride, and Connect. Each of these programs were developed and implemented in order to solve specific challenges. 
The Travel Navigator team allowed us to provide information and eligibility assistance to the community. Catch a Ride allowed us to provide same day service. Dial a Ride programs allowed us to provide service where there historically was not adequate fixed route service, including in Novato and West Marin. The volunteer driver programs allowed us to empower riders to find their own volunteer drivers and provided for mileage reimbursement. And finally, Connect allowed us to provide on-demand accessible service. In 2019, we began to implement tools to enhance the rider experience, including phone, text, and email alerts. The passenger portal, which allows for online trip booking online, and the e-purse, which allows for cashless fare payment. In 2020, we updated fares and streamlined the eligibility process and introduced an expanded fare assistance program. Finally, in 2022, we consolidated the majority of our Marin Access related contracts under one contractor to streamline operations and enhance the call center. Next slide, please. This slide shows where we are today. So the red box that will pop up in a moment um, is our mandated paratransit service. This is a service Marin Transit is obligated to provide under the ADA. The orange box shows our discretionary programs that are available for those that are 65 plus or ADA eligible. And finally, the green box shows discretionary programs that are available to the general public that include an aspect that makes them attractive to Marin Access riders. Next slide, please. So next I'll share a bit of information about our current conditions. Next slide. So this slide here is a little hard to read, but it shows a bar graph with ridership across Marin Access programs from July, 2019 through January, 2023. As you can probably tell, the Marin Access ridership trends are much different than what we have seen with fixed route. As of January, fixed route ridership has grown to nearly 90% of pre-COVID numbers where Marin Access ridership is still hovering around 50% of the pre-COVID numbers. The key takeaway here is that ridership has not recovered since the pandemic. Next slide, please. So this slide again illustrates the reduction in ridership from Marin Access programs from pre-COVID to date. In FY19, we averaged nearly 14,000 trips per month. Of those trips, 72% were completed on paratransit, 3% on Novato Dial-A-Ride, 7% on Connect, 9% on Catch-A-Ride, and 8% on the volunteer driver programs. In the current fiscal year, we are averaging just under 6,000 trips per month, 44% of the pre-COVID number. So currently 74% of trips are completed on paratransit, 2% on Novato Dial-A-Ride, 5% on Connect, 5% on Catch-A-Ride, and 14% on the volunteer driver programs. Next slide, please. So this slide here shows the FY19 and FY22 operating costs and cost per trip breakdown by program. The red box uh, around paratransit differentiates this program as it is mandated service that we must provide. The rest of the programs are discretionary. The bottom row shows the total operating costs for each period. This shows that our overall operating costs have not changed much even with the reduction in demand. The operating costs are a combination of rising operations costs and heavy fixed fees that we pay regardless of demand. The column on the far right shows uh, the growth in cost per trip for each program. Given the increase in cost per trip and ridership declines, discretionary programs may require a closer look to determine whether adjustments to these programs should be considered. So now I'm gonna pass this over to Robert and he's gonna talk us through key challenges we're currently facing. Next slide. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so um, 
lot of this is going to sound very similar to the discussion we had in January, but I want to highlight some of the key challenges we have right now to the Marin Access programs. Uh, again, very similar to the key challenges we're facing with the fixed route programs. First and foremost, driver and labor shortages. I know Nancy's talked about it in her general manager report. We talked about it at the last meeting. Uh, this is an area that uh, we've we've really been working with uh, the TransDev team on over the last six to eight months. Uh, and your board did approve an amendment in February, which took you know a nice step up into increasing the the uh, starting wage for drivers. But that has been one challenge for us, not only to um, put out the supply of service, but also to maintain the reliability of service. Traffic congestion, again, we're, we're you know, back into very congested corridors. Uh, in a lot of ways, the Marin Access services are harder to predict traffic congestion because every day the routes are different than the day before for the most part. With fixed route program, we can kind of predict traffic conditions based on time of day, day of the week. But with the demand response programs, the trips change nearly every day. So that's been a real challenge for us to keep up with and, and again, make sure our, our services are uh, reliable and predictable for our riders. We've talked a lot about discretionary versus mandated programs. And, and, and as Joanna mentioned, our ADA service, our paratransit service, that is a required program. That's a mandated program. Almost everything else is what we call discretionary. And as we've been facing the driver shortage issues and some of the other challenges related to the services, we've had to go back and relook at those discretionary programs and really figure out what is the right balance of resources between these programs. So that's been an ongoing challenge that we've been working with the TransDev team on, um, again, over the last six to eight months. And then the final one, which is also a little more challenging for Marin Access, is really financially forecasting uh, these programs. So we've talked a lot about our rising costs, um, whether that's operations costs or fuel costs or just, you know, um, the cost of doing business. But this is a demand response program, and we can't predict demand all that well. And we've <laughs> been challenged to do that. It's not like the fixed route program where we agree upon a set amount of service and we put it out. It's really based on demand. So the combination of rising costs and unpredictable costs, along with demand and unpredictable demand, uh, really makes this program a challenge for us to kind of forecast out into the future. Um, but at the same time, you know, even with our, our demand being about 50% pre-COVID levels, we want to allow demand to grow, right? So how do we how do we allow the programs to continue to expand and serve the needs of those riders when demand comes back, even if we are, you know, at that 50% mark today? So a couple actions we want to, uh, next slide, let, let your board know where we've been um, we've been doing. These aren't new actions we're proposing to start now. These are really the actions we've been working uh, with TransDev and their team. And I do want to point out that uh, Jashe and the TransDev team are, are here today. They've been a great partner of ours and really working with us hand in hand to, to addressing these issues. First is staffing. We've talked about the contract amendment in February uh, with that raise in the starting uh, that increase in the, in the starting uh, wage. We've seen real positive results in terms of driver recruitments. They've also done a lot of creative things to engage the workforce they have today about how can we be creative? How can we think out of the box about not only attracting new drivers, but how do we keep the drivers we have today uh, moving forward? 
On the traffic side, um, we have some tools within our scheduling software that allow us to um, put in what we call speed settings. So not only does that help the driver understand how long it's going to take between their pickups and drop-offs, but it starts in the scheduling process. So how long is it actually going to take to perform these trips based on the time, the day, and where the pickups and drop-offs are happening? So we've been working with the team to make sure that those back-end parameters are coded correctly. So again, the service gets out there in a reliable way. And then the final one is looking at what flexibility we have with our resources and how do we allocate those to continue to allow the ADA mandated programs to do what they need to do, but not completely sacrifice all of our other discretionary programs, um, which kind of leads me into the final bullet at the bottom of, of uh, the screen here. And it's in the same way that, that we kind of ran out of tweaks and modifications on the fixed route program, and we had to kind of open it up and do this larger service change you just approved, we're looking at the same thing for Marin Access. We've kind of run out of ways to make tweaks and adjustments around the edges. So we've embarked upon really a comprehensive evaluation of all of our programs. We've been working on that uh, internally. Um, and you'll hear more about this um, at a future board meeting. Next slide. So some of the next steps, what we're doing right now, again, continuing to work side by side with our contractor, make real-time changes, make sure the daily operations are stable today. Second off is reaching out to our riders. We're currently conducting focus groups. We're engaging um, some of our major client uh client centers, as well as our community partners to talk about um, what are the impacts that they're facing today and how do we mitigate some of those impacts. And the final action um, that, again, we'll bring back in front of your board is looking at the programs comprehensively. We shared a little bit of detail about their performance today, but how do we potentially take a step back and rethink, repackage these programs to continue, first and foremost, to meet our 88 requirement? but still offer the, the, the enhanced programs, everything that Measure AA and Measure B is really targeted at funding above and beyond that ADA service moving forward. Next slide. With that, we'd be happy to answer any questions. All right. Questions? Yes, Director Casesis. Yeah, this may be more of a crystal ball question, but do you ever see the numbers going back up to pre-COVID? Or is it a matter of the challenges you mentioned? Or is it a matter of maybe people's behavior because of COVID? Or is it just a combination of everything? It's kind of a loaded question. It's a great, it's a great question. I wish I had a great answer. Um, I, th I think that's our hope. Our hope is we can get back to pre-COVID levels. And I think that's why we continue to invest in a lot of the resources. So the Travel Navigator is a, is a wonderful resource we have here, which many, many of our peers do not have. And that is, you know, the one call, one click, find out what programs are available, go through a comprehensive assessment for eligibility and really kind of a, uh, a great resource for somebody who's new to the program to understand. We continue to invest heavily in that. That's a fixed fee. That's something we pay regardless if we have one trip or a thousand trips per month. Um, so I think you know we're we're trying to keep that foundation and that structure there that that allow our ridership to grow and to get back to pre-COVID levels. With that said, we do recognize that our costs are going up, 
and and we don't have unlimited budget to fund um, you know rising rising demand at the same time our costs are rising and rising. So some of the the presentation that that Joanna gave about the subsidy for those discretionary programs, you know, historically we like to have those discretionary programs have a much lower subsidy per rider, right? A, a more cost-effective way to provide the service that's meeting the needs of our riders. We're starting to see those discretionary programs are starting to ramp up their subsidy levels to the same level as the paratransit program. So that's what we're looking at in detail right now is what's contributing to those high subsidies on those discretionary programs. And is there a way to get a little bit more creative to bring down those subsidy levels? Director Moulton-Peter. So, uh, Robert, thank you for this. Uh, it looks like you've evaluated the marine transit side of things, but I'm wondering what you might have done or might want to consider doing, looking at sort of the supply side. And what I mean by that is we know that seniors have needs to get to appointments uh, and social and medical appointments. It's a top, and then their isolation is a topic of quite a bit of discussion at the Board of Supervisors. Are you working with Health and Human Services and the Commission on Aging to do sort of a client assessment from that end to see how our services might uh, address the needs that they can articulate and what we can do to kind of beef up usage on that end, I think. Do you want to take it? Or you want me to? I'll I'll start. Yeah, I know that's a, yeah. a thing, but I, but I feel like we're we've got one our part of the equation, but we need to get the other part of the equation in who's being served by these services. Absolutely. Um, so the parat again, I'll, I'll set the paratransit program aside because I think when when we've had those conversations with Health and Human Services, what we quickly realize is it's a little bit more than the transportation element, right? It's, it's, there's a social element. There's an element of additional assistance with that rider, maybe even scheduling the appointment, waiting with them through the appointment. Um, so, you know, what, what we found is paratransit is a great service, but it doesn't meet the needs of all of our riders. And so um, the discretionary programs that we've put out there try and work around the edges, right? Allow a same-day scheduling option. Allow a same-day scheduling option that's accessible. Allow the rider to engage a volunteer to give them that ride. Allow us to use the other supply in the county, which is TNCs and um, taxis. And I think I think that's really key moving forward is looking at that supply and trying to figure out who can use that supply. You know what what. Um, what what functional skills are needed to use that supply, whether it's booking or the transportation, and then figure out who who's left, you know, who else needs support. Um, and oftentimes that conversation does come back to those most in need, those in West Marin, those that have um, medical appointments outside the county, um, which is a really hard one to serve. And, and those that, you know, quite honestly, at the end of the day, are really high subsidy programs because it's a long trip length, it's a long trip distance, and it requires some additional support. Um, Thank you for that. I, I think what I'd like to suggest is that Marin Chancellor consider some, some additional conversation with the the agencies, uh, with aging services, just to, just to see what what input they might provide. I, I know that we're going to have to make decisions going forward on what to keep, but I'd love for those decisions to be 
informed by some additional work with our with our aging services and commission on aging so thank you right thank you go ahead um director colbert sorry oh yeah no so just two things uh does does these do these programs get cars off the road on, on any level or is it the same amount of congestion? Because there's sort of two things I'm thinking uh, about. One is how does this relate to sort of climate change and congestion and, and green and just sort of greenhouse gas with, with that play? And then, you know, sort of building upon what uh, Director Mullen Peters just said, right? Like Marin is like, Rin's old, right? Like we're the oldest place in California, but we still want people to have vibrant lives. And it's not even necessarily for, um, you know, your, your health concerns, but just your social existence. So, you know, in terms of your, your economic vitality and hubs, we want our seniors to be able to participate. But as we sort of move away from cars as real estate, how do we sort of get people around? Is that part of this play at all? I, I would say two things. Marine Access Services through the lens of GHG reduction, I wouldn't say the target is getting cars off the road. In fact, we had a fascinating uh, finding in our Connect program that we're actually adding VMT because of all the deadhead associated with driving to and from the pickups and drop-offs. Very similar results to what you know studies in San Francisco have shown about the TNCs and their impact on local congestion. So um, it is a shared ride service. Uh, we, you know, we do have multiple clients on on board the vehicle at any given time, but uh, it's not achieving the same metrics like our fixed route public transit service in terms of congestion relief and GHG emissions. The other challenge we've had with the Marin Access Services is is investing in electric vehicles. As as you're probably aware, the the cutaway is our largest. Um, non-electric fleet out there on the market, and the industry has been slow to kind of bring a vehicle that's both affordable and reliable uh, for this type of service. In fact, the bus we have downstairs today is a potential option we're evaluating for maybe um, greening the fleet for our marine access services. Um, but I, I don't know if that answers your, your question, but those are, I guess, my thoughts on I, you know, I don't think there's really an answer, but I appreciate your thoughts. Uh, so thanks. Director Sackett. Yeah, so I thank you, Joanna, for this deep um, overview on all the different programs. It's nice to meet you in person. Like I've seen your emails for many years, so it's nice to see you in person. Thank you. Uh, I want to focus on this travel training part of it and and how, how frequently is that happening? And has that come back to pre-COVID um, levels? What I'm thinking here is the population who may have needed um, these kind of services pre-COVID, there's a new population now, right? Like different folks have aged into it. Um, it there's a potential uptick of a whole new group of people who need to be educated on it. And I wanna ensure that we're doing that. Sure. Yeah. So historically, travel training has there's been really low demand for it. Um, in 2020, when we introduced the new fare assistance program, there's also a component of it where eligible writers join into the mic. Oh, sorry, where eligible writers can get a, a bus pass to use fixed route. And with that, we really thought that travel training would increase. Um, unfortunately, that was introduced right in the middle of the pandemic. Um, and so as we're slowly increasing our outreach efforts, we'll begin increasing our travel training efforts. 
um, and, and hope that we can get a lot of people interested in that program. And I'll just say, and I'm probably not the only one, but in the last month, I've spoken to most of the homeowners associations in District 1, each of which have 50 or 60 people. I would say the majority of them over 60. Kyle came to one of those, which I really appreciated. But I think it's my guess is it's a population that is not aware of these services, but are aging into the point where, you know, wanting to drive themselves at night and so forth or at any time, let alone, you know, to someplace else. So I, I think there's a real potential. And if you want to connect with those kind of groups, I'm almost thinking like, could we do a travel navigator the half hour or an hour before a homeowners association meeting or something to bring in um you know, the different populations. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great suggestion. One we'll follow up with you on. And then the other thing I was thinking about is the Kaiser facility at Los Camos. And, you know, the Kaiser, when, when Smart opened and we had the bus that the county and Kaiser and others paid for that preceded um, Transit Connect, Kaiser did pay into that. And I know they have sort of a community transit demand. It, it, I wonder if there's any potential. I know that doesn't say solve our VA or out of county trips, but is there a potential to, you know, talk to the geriatric physicians or schedulers at Kaiser and say, you know, let your clients know. I imagine the folks answering the phone may kind of hear these sort of concerns and to say, hey, there are options and here are your opportunities. Yeah, I definitely think there's opportunities there. We have some staff members at Kaiser that come to our Marin Mobility Consortium, um, and we can certainly okay. follow up on that. I'm familiar with their community funding. So, Okay, great. Now, my final question was how this new e-bus could um, fit in, but you answered that. So thank you. All right. Uh, Joanne and uh, Robert, thank you so much. Um, this is yeah, definitely time to do a real dive. Um, as you have been doing, but even more so. So I just, I guess I was thinking about a couple things and these different services have sort of come online at different times towards addressing fairly specific purposes. And what I am going to be wondering, apart from the sort of more rural, obvious geographic um, targeted service, if we, if as you do the focus groups and talk to the folks who are using this or these various services now, the degree to which, Frank, we are actually serving the population that we thought we would be serving, um, that's, yeah. And and because I, I'm, I'm looking at Marine Transit Connect and the dial ride, dial a ride, and I'm trying to figure out what's really the difference there. Um, uh, then the other thing I'm also, I'm thinking about is, um, are we going to operate sort of on a zero sum sort of perspective in that we are going to, are we going to continue to budget a certain amount of, you know, a certain piece of our budget? So which right now is hovering right around 6 million and, and that's pretty close to what it was in 1819 and then see what we can do with that. Or are we considering actually um, potentially reducing that budget towards really um, drilling down in that subsidy per trip and trying to get it to something that is uh, 
as you talked about the local paratransit subsidy, we don't we don't want to be that high. But anyway, I think there's a lot to dive into here. Um, and then my last, and these none of these are questions; they're just things I'm hoping you'll be diving into. Is I also think I'm wondering about that screen of who's using the services now, and to what degree, going back to the travel navigators and. Um, to what degree they they might actually, if you look at destination origin, origin destination, that sort of thing, they are actually potentially clients for our fixed route service, and they're making a choice based on, you know, who knows what. Um, so anyway, um, this is really important, and I think we've prided ourselves on really trying to be innovative and try different um, uh, boutique sort of services to try to get folks who are transit dependent or and or you know choice riders out of their cars or and or giving them services and it's a very good time to be taking a hard hard look at this and uh, seeing where we can maximize those dollars we put there and we're actually serving folks the way we thought we would be serving them and I also want to underscore uh, supervisor our director Moulton Peters um, request to, to even um, more engage our, those agencies and the commissions that are working with our senior populations or and um, seeing what help they can actually be realistic, practical, um, not idealistic, but all right. So none of those were really questions. Okay. Question mark at the end. All right, um, any, any public comment? Yes, Kevin Carroll, please unmute. Uh, good morning again. Uh, going back to uh, slide number nine in the presentation, I see a real problem where it shows catch a ride jumping, the percentage change jumping 133%, um, which um, I know my rates didn't go up 133%, and I doubt the other taxi companies have either. So I would suspect they're doing longer trips. And I would recommend. I mean, local paratransit and connect are generally group rides, but I believe the dial-a-rides, the volunteer driver and catch-a-ride are pretty much individual trips. And so they're better judged on a cost per mile basis as opposed to a cost per trip basis. Uh, two, uh, you mentioned uh, possibly extending to TNCs to doing some of this work. And I just want to caution you. I have no, I don't do catch a ride. Um, I just didn't want to get involved in the billing. And it's really North Bay Co-op, I believe, does the majority of the work. And one of the premises on which they operated used to be for taxi companies, you made money running out the vehicle for two 10-hour shifts a day because of the TNCs. You now have to make it in the one 10 hour a day shift. Um, and so if you cut too much of the business to the taxi companies, there'll be fewer taxis on the road, quite frankly. And the problem with TNCs is it goes in spurts for about six or seven hours of my day. I don't get any calls. And then all of a sudden I'll get 20 calls literally in 10 minutes because there just aren't enough TNC drivers out. So I just caution you on that. Also, they make promises about having handicapped accessible vehicles. I've never seen one in Marin County. They just don't exist. Thank you. Linda Jackson, please unmute. 
Okay, good morning, everybody. This is Linda Jackson from the Aging Action Initiative. Um, and I'm, I'm intrigued that with the looming increase of people who are aging into their 80s soon, that we're talking about figuring out how to meet their needs and and in the face of a loss of service. Um, I'm over 65, and if I wasn't involved in this work, I wouldn't know at all what programs are out there. So it goes to a couple of points that um, directors Moulton Peters and Sackett raised, is what is known by older people um, about what the services are available. Used to be you'd get that in the IJ, but it hasn't been. It's been a couple decades now. Now people get information a lot of different ways. And so it's how do we get the word out. Another thing that happened is the switch in providers. So it did go from a trusted provider to an unknown provider. And how was that transition managed and how can we um, make it work with the new provider um, and the change in service? So I, I totally endorse the idea of working with the Commission on Aging, a great resource, and trying to reach out to the general community because they, like uh, Transportation Authority of Marin, have representatives from all of the jurisdictions in Marin County and all five supervisorial districts. The second one would be possibly to look into contracting with a consultant with deep expertise in mobility needs of older adults. So if you're not an older adult or you don't have geriatric uh, training, you might not really understand the communication needs and the mobility needs um, that are evolving. So that might be an idea as you go, if you really move into modifying service. Um, another one is on the mo no, mobility training. It's not one-off. need to go back because it's new people every year, like, in edu like the schools. Um, so if you're reaching out to senior centers and other places, those residents change and different people come to the meetings just as to the neighborhood meetings. And finally, AAI, you know, Robert, we talk all the time. Stand ready to help and brainstorm ideas of how to move this forward. Thank you so much. Bye. There are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. Robert, Nancy, Joanna, comment? I just wanted to maybe clarify a couple things about relationships with the Commission on Aging specifically. We do have ongoing relationships with them in part through our mobility consortium where there are members um, from the Commission on Aging and from the staff, I believe, who attend regularly. So that is one of the ways that we do that. I just wanted to let everybody know that as well as the PCC, our paratransit um, coordinating council is, is actually also an area where we do have uh, members from the Commission on Aging, as well as other groups, of course. But just um, to let you know, that's one of the ways we connect with those folks. I, I would also add that Joanna attends the Housing and Transportation Subcommittee meeting, um, and we have a standing item where we talk about Marin Transit updates, and we receive feedback from, from that kind of smaller uh, group of the, on the Commission on Aging. So that's just another opportunity for us to engage with, with that group. Um, the only other thing I, I would add, and, and as uh, Kevin Carroll pointed out in, in his comments, a lot of our increases in terms of cost per trip are a combination of our fixed fees staying where, they're, where they are and our demand dropping. So um, when demand drops, we can't spread out those fixed costs across all of those trips. So it's not necessarily our per mile costs doubling. It's the fact that trips are going down 
And we support these trips in a different way for riders. You know, having a dedicated scheduling and call center, somebody that's going to take the reservation and help coordinate that either with the TNC or with the taxi is a service we provide above and beyond if you or I were to call a TNC or, or uh, a taxi. So that's really what we're looking at is, is, is those models and, and where can we potentially streamline some of those costs based on the new lower demand and how can we restructure to, to get that subsidy down uh, a little bit lower, so. All right, bringing it back here. And this was just a presentation. Uh, thank you very much. And then I would um, encourage um, that actually when you get maybe a little farther on, actually uh, seeing about agenda, getting some time at the full commission on aging, um, just because you've got that many more folks from around the county all in one one place, um, it's always good to have representatives sitting on a on a tack or what have you. But um, you've you've got even more people there, and frankly, they also uh, there's many folks who sit on the commission on aging who do that as also providing a conduit and almost as an ambassador back to their communities to share information and also have, I think, a really good sense of their individual communities, the, um, what the best, frankly, communication mediums are. Uh, and every, every community around here in Marin is a little bit different. So I would take advantage of that full commission on aging. Yeah. All right, thank you, Joanna and Robert. Joanna, did you wanna add something? Oh, I just wanted to say that we are scheduling that with the full commission on aging and it's, I think, tentatively for me. So perfect. Expect that. All right. Okay. All right. So with that, we will go ahead and adjourn. Thank you all. Thank you. I invite you all to come down to the south.